Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio. Reporting from the basement of the Dairy Civic Center, this is Sam Alexander with the news. In sports, a local thumb wrestling competition ended in six deaths earlier today. Witnesses on the scene reported the tournament's champion won decisive victories by almost immediately pinning his opponents as they each suffered a cardiac arrest. This incident marks his fourth consecutive championship win. Better luck next year, Thumbers. You're listening to Dairy Public Radio. This is Dairy Public Radio. Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio, a bi-weekly Stephen King Book Club podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua Khan, alongside CM Alexander. Hello, everyone. And today we are joined by a special guest in studio, filmmaker Ian Clink. Ian, welcome. Hello, everybody. Thank you very much for hosting me. You all appreciate it in this amazing, amazing decked out room. <laughs> CM spends a lot of time <laughs> collecting and organizing this room. Sometimes I just sit and stare at my books. <laughs> I, I am right now. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you for being with us. I want to ask you... The two most important questions of this okay. entire interview. And they're questions that I ask everybody. They are near and dear to our heart questions. Yeah. The first is, what was your introduction to Stephen King's work? Mm. Oh, gosh. So I'll answer that two parts. So first introduction was when I was four years old. Everybody out there, I know everybody's going to have an opinion about it, for or against. I, I don't know what. But I had a recording on a VHS tape. Yeah, but the old days where my parents recorded something and the movie that followed it, they didn't shut off the VHS player. And I'm so grateful they didn't because they recorded Creep Show 2 on HBO. <laughs> and, you know, and I literally and now as a four year old, I I shouldn't be watching Creep Show 2. Right. Sure. I, I totally acknowledge. <laughs> but but my parents are actually really cool about it. They're they're very much, you know, they didn't censor. They didn't do because they, they, their whole approach is we could say not to watch it. And you watch it anyways, then you're confused as hell. <laughs> or watch it, we talk about it, this and that. So, you know, of course, I'm watching this movie about this blob that's, you know, in the water, sucking people down in a raft. And, you know, I had to ask my dad, I, how, is this real? You know, <laughs> you know this, and my dad's explained, no, that's a rubber arm, that's fake, it's this. You know, my dad's explained the whole process. And so... But I didn't know that was a Stephen King. You know, like you don't know that when you're young. You just know of this movie is Creepshow 2. And, you know, I watched that a lot. I, that was like probably my first introduction, though, to Stephen King in a weird connected way. But I will tell you, and and probably I don't know if this is a question, but you probably ask what's my favorite Stephen King book. And this is this is the one that it is. When I was in high school, I remember a classmate of mine, uh, Amber Carlson, uh, she's actually a librarian here in Davenport Public Library. Oh. Um, so hello, Amber. Amber was reading this book. We were in, we were, we were freshmen in high school, and of course, I'm a movie maker, so I'm a snob. You know, you don't read books. <laughs> you know, that's a, you know, you don't do that. Uh, but I I never read books. I didn't really get into books. But I decided uh, I was looking at. She was in the cafeteria, and she was reading this book, and I saw the cover, and it was The Long Walk. And this is the mid '90s cover. So for you Stephen King fans, it's the one that's kind of got a blue tint to it. It's mm -hmm. got a skull and a fence and stuff like that on on the cover. And, and I remember looking at it, and I, I'm like, what, "What? What are you reading? What? What is that? You know, it says Stephen King. I know, I know Stephen King, but I haven't read it. Like, well, what's that about?" And then she explains the story. And you know, for all you know, those of you who know the story, 
uh, that just sucks you in. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, because I remember telling us like, oh, you know, three warnings and, you know, there's, there's a long walk and three warnings. But on the fourth warning, boom. Uh, you What? <laughs> really? And, and she's like, yeah, it's a really great book. And she's explaining the whole story. And and I go, okay, well, so she so she, so she was about to finish it. And she's like, oh, I'm a, it, I, I got a Parkview library. So she took it back to Parkview library, drove out there, picked it up. And it was... Well, it was a couple things. It was the I couldn't put it down. I, that is a book that if you if you read that book, uh, and I, have you have you both read? Oh, yeah, we've covered oh, it on the yeah, show. Yeah. Oh my god, I couldn't. I, I literally started reading and could not put it down. And for somebody who doesn't read a book, if you do that, <laughs> that's you know that's something like powerful. So, but it just opened up this world of one. You discover that Stephen King is. He really does write like a filmmaker. You know, it's it's a very filmatic yeah. approach that he does his stories. But I just remember, you know, you're reading as a freshman. You're about the age of these boys. And what I realized, it's not about the story. It's it's how Stephen King interacts these characters, how, how these boys are going through this emotional trauma and, and building connections and, and becoming friends. And then all of a sudden you realize, oh, wait, I need to beat you. In order to not die, but I want to get close to you. And I remember just being a freshman reading it, just being sucked into that. Holy shit. (laughs) You know, because then you start thinking about your friends. And what if we're in the competition? Would I want to survive? Yeah. So and, and, and I just I couldn't put it down. And that just opened up the floodgate, right? You know, I read that book and then it's like, oh, what's what? Oh, I remember watching Christine the movie. Okay, great. You know, <laughs> let me just, and then you just start reading all of them. So, yeah, The Long Walk, that was my, that was my Stephen King. Like that opened up the whole constant reader world and, mm-hmm. and getting into uh, what he does. And I probably read that book nine times now. You know, and I'm probably going to read it again soon because it's just, it's just, it's it's due time. You know, it's been a few years. When you read it this time, you can listen, you can listen along with our podcast. I'm going to have to. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. But that, that, those two, I think Creepshow 2 and The Long Walk, those were my Stephen King kind of opening the door and then like, oh, wow, this is, this is, I want to breed more. I want to get more involved. That's a a great introduction to Stephen King. Oh, and I actually, to the point recently, a friend of mine uh, who was actually in the movie, uh, his daughter you know, is a freshman in in high school, and I uh, and she was talking about like books she wants to read, and I ended up talking about the Long Walk. And to the point, I just bought it at Barnes and Noble and gave it to her. Nice. Like, you got to read this book. So yeah, I just gave that to her like a couple days ago. So yeah, awesome. yeah, the Long Walk, great book, great book. So on our show, we talk about Stephen King moments, uh, things in his work that can be perfectly mundane, but might just scare the crap out of mm. you. <laughs> For me, of course, it was the the way he describes the hotel room door in 1408. Oh, yeah, yeah. And not for Josh, though. I, I built it up too much. And <laughs> so was much there was too much hype. Didn't affect me that way. Do you have a Stephen King moment? I just, I, that just got me. That just, that, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I, I'll be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I've read it twice, and the scene that always got me that it's actually it's, it's funny you use the word mundane because there are those moments where where other people might not think it's scary, but there's a scene where I think it's Ben is dreaming about being on this baseball diamond, and he looks in the background, and all the players all of a sudden everybody's missing, everybody's gone, but there's a there's a 
grass grown tall grass field in the background of this baseball diamond. I remember reading it and, and I hope I'm not mis misinterpreting or misreading what, what I had, but I remember it was, he looks out and in the tall grass, there's just the clown just mm -hmm. looking and not making a noise, not making a face, not eating a hand or like in the movie or something, <laughs> but it's just, it's just a clown looking at him. And I remember that moment haunted me I, I i don't know why and i think it's because the word you use mundane it was just such a creepy non-scare non-jump not trying to get it's just he looks out and there's just the clown and it's just staring at him that was that to me was like a stephen <laughs> king moment of like uh, uh, you look down in the basement it's dark that picture <laughs> pops in your head you know that's but that that's the moment i think i remember the most of reading stephen king that really got to me you know, I can have it. You know, Annie Wilkes can chop off a guy's foot. I can do that. I, you know, I that doesn't bog, you know, boggle me or anything like that. But just some creep, something about that creepy clown just staring at you and and controlling and just uh, <laughs> it makes your creeping me out now. It makes your filmmaker brain go into overdrive. Oh, it does. And, it does. Be, well, and and because as a filmmaker, that wouldn't really probably be interesting on film. And yet, could you do that? I, I think that I think you're right that. If I had done it, if I had filmed it, I, I probably would add that scene because it did freak me out so much. But it's not like, you know, like in the movie where it's painting comes alive and comes after you or any of that stuff or or the jump scare where the balloon pops and there he is. It's just he looks out and there's just this creepy and I can hear the noise, too. You know, the <laughs> the, 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 the grass blowing and, and all that stuff. You're not going to sleep tonight. Yeah, I'm not. That's I'm what's going to happen. You know, funny, can I tell a story? This is funny. Last night I'm reading some of the, the interview questions you guys have sent me and, and just trying to think of some, an, you know, some answers and stuff like that. And and I live out in Iowa City in, 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 in West Branch where my parents live and, and I'm staying there. Uh, while making this film and and I'm reading the questions and my window is up. And again, when you're in the country, for anybody in Iowa country, you know it's it's creepy at night. It just can be <laughs> creepy. But I'm fine. But if you live out there, you're fine with it. Eventually, like, all right, whatever, you know. But you know, I'm sitting on the couch and the my parents had the couch right by the window and 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 you know, we had the windows up and and I'm hearing the grass kind of blow, which again, that's why I can hear that noise, but the grass is blowing. And then all of a sudden, I don't know why, but the room over here, we had the window open. As I'm reading your questions and thinking about, oh, okay, okay, Firestarter, you know, it, Silver Bullet, this, okay, I'm thinking of all these movies. The door cracks open, <laughs> but, it, but it is such that, and I swear to God, I'm not making this up. The door, and it's that noise from like the old horror haunted movies <laughs> that... Literally, I, I, oh God, oh, she, and, and I got so scared. But, but again, it's, it's those images you get, you're getting in your head that just kind of just jolt you. But, uh, so I don't know if that was good luck, charm, or whatever. But was, yeah. We'll I take it. Yeah. Okay, yeah. good. Yeah. That yeah. was, that was, I, that was a scary moment. Uh, so we, we've talked a little bit, uh, referenced your, your filmmaking. Uh, so I think it's time to tell our listeners the, the reason that, we have you here today is ah, because yes. you you are in the Quad Cities making a film mm -hmm. uh, with a, a good friend of ours, and she informed us that uh, in grad school you got a dollar baby. I did, yes, yes. The man who would not shake hands uh, was the was a, the my grad school thesis film. 
So yeah, the, we, I'm one of the lucky ones who got to do a Stephen King grad, uh, dollar baby in grad school. So it was unique. When we were the first one to do that story, that I was very really? I've always been proud of that. Nobody had ever done that story before. Wow! And that was that was actually part of the process. Um, was uh, you know I, when I heard about the dollar baby process, and, and for those of you out there that don't know, you know uh, Stephen King um, ever since Frank Darabont did a movie called The Woman in the Room, which was a really, really interesting story because it, it it's non-horror. It was it was Stephen King writing about his mother dying of cancer. And it's it's basically a story about a man being afraid to be in the room while his mother dies. You know, and and just kind of getting nightmares about having to be there. And um and Frank Darabont, you know, you know, was in college and he wanted to do this story, but he didn't have a lot of money and and he had written he was one this is the early days like in the seventies, you know, when Stephen King's just starting out. And so Frank Darabont did, he wrote to him and said, you know, I would like to adapt the story. Um, and Stephen King knew he didn't have much money. And so he talked to his lawyer and Stephen King came up with this idea that if you pay a dollar legally, Stephen King can give you the rights to the story, but that also gives Stephen King the right to control it. So it's not abusing and stuff like that. But, you know, he wanted to do that, you know, for Frank Darabont. And graciously enough, he decided, you know, other people heard about this and he decided against his lawyer's wishes, he writes about, <laughs> uh, to, to do that. So if you were a student filmmaker in either high school or college, you know, he'll license the rights to one of his stories for a dollar. Now, of course, you know, when you're a huge Stephen King fan and, and you're a filmmaker and, and you know, I, I'll be honest, I can't remember how I figured it out or how I discovered this because this is kind of pre- you know, Wikipedia and all this knowledge. And now on his webpage, I know he has a whole thing about how to do it. But I, th I think I found on the internet, you write to his office and, and do that. But I decided, you know, after having made a few films and, and graduating and knew I was going to go to Savannah College of Art and Design for my master's, I knew I needed a thesis film. And so I just on a whim, I said, well, what if I tried to do a dollar baby? You know, why, why, why not try to see what it is? wrote to him and and they gave me that the rights to do it so yeah and I'll, I'll talk more about the process but but that was that was kind of the initial thing about the dollar baby which was which was fascinating he just allows you to do that <laughs> <laughs> but yeah that's incredibly exciting that was yeah, yeah. Uh, what inspired your love of filmmaking just from the get-go oh wow uh well, like yeah, I said, the creep show two thing, but the other movie that really—I'll be honest—that did it was Ghostbusters. <laughs> nice. You know, Ghostbusters is—you uh, know—my parents tell this. I used to watch that oh six times a day. <laughs> you know, something <laughs> something where I'd watch it, I'd rewind it, I'd watch it, rewind it, rewind. You know, to the point my parents to this day cannot watch Ghostbusters. <laughs> They're just done. You ruined with it. it. I ruined it. They just can't do it anymore. But but yeah, Ghostbusters. That was the, I and I. You know, I told my parents I was like five, you know, I want to make movies. Now, I don't know what that is. I don't know how that is. You, know, you don't know what, but I want to be the guy that makes that. And that just opened up, you know, like I said, that opens up the floodgates too. You start studying movies. They start telling you how to do movies and your parents give you kind of, oh, you should watch this movie. And, you know, you just kind of build up, you know, that. But, but you know, through the process, it, it's interesting growing up in the 90s, uh, you know, one of the healthiest diets that we got was actually Stephen King adaptations and Stephen <laughs> King movies. Yeah. And so, you know, HBO shows, you know, misery and shows graveyard shift. And so, you know, part of filmmaking and learning is watching these kind of movies. Um, so, you know, it's interesting, but yeah, like I said, I didn't read Stephen King before high school. Like that was like, you know, 
but the movies I used to watch a lot. You know, I, 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 um, I actually to this day, and I actually just uh, got to meet him and have him sign it. But I remember when I was 11, I got, I was at an ABC studio taking a tour as a class or something. I remember this guy gave me, oh, here, have this. And, you know, it was a little marquee stand for The Stand, you know, the ABC miniseries. And so I had this before it was coming out. So I knew the date. And I remember watching the miniseries of The Stand. And, and uh, like we all kind of watched that and, and, you know, just being a part of that world. But I actually got Mick Garris to actually sign that. And I said, I've been waiting 11 years nice. since I was 11 oh, to get man. you to sign this. And <laughs> what, wonderful man, Mick Garris. Wonderful director. But of course, you know, I think that I connected more with before I read the mm-hmm. books was the filmmakers who make the, you know, and, and of course, you know, I remember being at the, you know, the Iowa City Library and renting The Shining and actually watched it at the, I, I remember this very specific. I remember watching The Shining at the Iowa Public Library or Iowa City Library. They had a, a video monitor. You could watch it. And I remember, of course, you know, it gets to the, oh gosh, I'm going to blank on this. Don't kill me, fans. The room number, the, in the movie, it's, I think it's 217 in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. It's 217 in the movie. Yeah. The famous 217 movie or 217 moment. And, uh, you know, I'm sitting there watching this. All of a sudden, this naked girl comes on screen. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God, I got to you know, <laughs> shut it off because I'm in the library and all these, you know, all these people are watching. I, that was very embarrassing. Uh, but, but yeah. So, you know, to me, I think even before the books was watching the Stephen King movies. And, and of course, that creep show, two connection. And all of a sudden, you know, one day realizing, Oh, wait, whoa, Stephen King wrote that. Oh, these are Stephen King stories. Oh, okay. You know, and then, you know, doing the connection with, you know, I remember uh, at the same library, I was at the library, I remember finding the comic book of Creepshow. And I was like, oh, I want to read this. <laughs> and then, you know, I'm reading it and it's really cool. And you see it's Stephen King and also, and then you're like, oh, wait, this is a movie? <laughs> There's a movie of Creepshow? Wait, Creepshow 2. I, you know, and, and uh, so I remember, this is great, one o'clock in the morning, on ABC, they showed Creepshow one night, and I just happened to flip to it, and it, you know, I got into the middle of like Father's Day episode, and oh. and yeah, <laughs> watch it, and, and just and there's something really cool about those old school days of having commercials within Creepshow and watch. Mm-hmm. And I remember just watching that, loving every second of it to the point I wish I had a recorded copy of it with the commercials, <laughs> commercials and all. Yeah, yeah. like that would be so <laughs> cool if you had that. So if anybody has that, please send it in to you know Dairy Public Rate, you know. Radio, so that I can see a copy. Yeah, we'll, with, we'll, uh, we'll forward you a yeah, copy. Yeah, please do, because it was just so cool. You know, you get to the point where, you know, I remember, I specifically remember, you know, the gravestone like lands on Ed Harris, and then all mm-hmm. of a sudden it cut to commercial. You know, are yours, is your stomach hurting? <laughs> you know, is your, <laughs> stuff like that. You know, I remember that. But yeah, so, so, you know, that the movies are really what I, you know, I first connected with Stephen King on. And, and, you know, and then just got into, you know, by the time I got to high school, you know, I'd, I did a lot of theater beforehand because, you know, in Iowa, there's not a lot of filmmaking. So yeah. it's kind of like, well, what do you do if you, you don't know how to make films or what? Well, theater's the close, you know, I remember my father telling me, well, theater's close enough. Why don't you try theater? So did a lot of theater stuff. But uh, really then, you know, once I was in college, that's when I really started making short films and, and you know, having grown a love for horror, I made a couple of lot, of, you know, like couple of horror short films and you know and all this stuff but that led to the point of like oh well if i'm doing a short horror movies why not do a short stephen king horror movie (laughs) you know that kind of led to the path of finding the man who would not shake hands so yeah 
Uh, we have all of the the adaptations you've seen. What would what do you think is your favorite adaptation? Oh man, that's hard. Because <laughs> because let me let me be honest. We all know this. There are some really amazing Stephen King adaptations. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And then there's some really amazing <laughs> shitty adaptations <laughs> that we all get disappointed with. Can I ask you guys this? What is your stand on Dreamcatcher? I just need to know. I've never read it or seen it. Oh, really? Oh, have you? Oh man, uh, I I'm kind of torn because I love Damian Lewis. Yeah, it's... and so it's very Dreamcatcher. I have it. It's very easy for me to watch mm-hmm. in spite of some things that might turn me off from the movie because of yep. him. Because I just love watching him do anything. Yeah, and then it's something that I I feel like as we've read other works like Tommyknockers mm. and different things, I'm kind of seeing um, some influence or some connections on purpose or not. I don't know, but it makes yeah. me a little bit more nostalgic for it than initially. I was like. I don't know. Yeah. I yeah, got to revisit yeah. it. And and I think I change my mind about it every time. I do. I do that a lot too. I've, I've gotten to point out, I have to see a movie like two or three times mm-hmm. before I can really make my opinion about it. I actually did that with it too. Chapter two. Yeah. Okay. I, I, the first time I watched it, I was very upset. Mm-hmm. And mainly because when they did the, adapt, the adaptation, to me, that whole book is about remembering. It's about remembrance. So the fact that they split it up and there's no, you know, it's not beginning with kids, you know, adults remembering what they were like as a kids. I didn't like that. I actually, I, I felt that was very frustrating. But then, you know, then that they're not, then the way that they did it in the second one, I kind of, the first time I'm like, ah, did I like that? Was it, it wasn't like the miniseries, but that's also because we grew up with the miniseries yeah. you, and you, you just have a love for Tim Curry and that, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, you know, yeah. that, that, no, that scared me as a kid. That was, <laughs> I remember my being at my grandparents seeing the, Specifically, the scene with the Belch brings him in and he turns into the dog head. Yeah, and they, yeah I remember that freaking me out <laughs> as a kid. I, you know, th- those adaptations are really challenged sometimes. And I'll also say this too: the fact a movie gets made is a miracle. <laughs> I mean, I I stand by and I I teach this to my students too. You know, Tim Burton did a he did a computer simulation that that said put all the factors in that it takes to make a movie, and the 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 NASA computer basically said. It is physically, or it is empirically impossible to make a movie. You know, like no, no movie should get made. So, you know, I understand when sometimes they try to make a movie of a short six-page story that they stretch out, and all of a sudden it doesn't turn out the way you thought that it should. I.e., the Mangler, <laughs> you know, which is a fun yeah. movie. Yeah. But you read the story and it's like, this has nothing to do with anything that's in this little six page story or, or, you know, they expand the graveyard, uh, graveyard shift to be this story about class warfare within the blue collar class, <laughs> you know, which is, which is great. I love that movie. But sorry, long story short, back to your question. I would say the best for me. I love what they did with Dolores Claiborne. You know, it it encaptures the book, but also expands upon it a little mm-hmm. bit by adding the investigation and and Dolores Claiborne. I probably read a couple uh, that I probably read two or three times because yeah. I just love that that character he creates is so. You know, I think we all know that lady. You know, we all know yeah. that grandmother or that that aunt that's just so piss bull hearted that you, you know like that. <laughs> Because I love it. I love in the story when she keeps saying, you can write it down. I don't give a shit what you say. You know, <laughs> I did it. I don't care. You know, yeah. I, I love reading that. But 
you know, what Kathy Bates did in that with that character and, and you know, Christopher Plummer, which is not in the book, his character, you know, that was a great adaptation. I, lo- you know, obviously, you know, it's easy to say like, you know, Shawshank Redemption and Stand By Me, all those. But um, the one that I think captured King in his kind of in his world and and mixing the film with with that world, I think Misery I, oh, yeah. would, would I would I think really captured the book. You know, because if you're if you're if I'm answer if I'm you know honestly answering of how adaptations from his work directly to screen, I think that one did the best. I, I you know because you can see Stephen King in that uh, mm-hmm. in, in Misery, so I, that, that would, I would think that one. If I can uh, if I can spoil a little bit of our podcast for you, if you go back and listen to our Misery series, we have absolutely a, we have a, a long conversation about the fact that you can treat the book and the movie as one continuous story because in the book, he constantly, when they ask him if he'll ever write a story about his, what happened to him, he says, I can't Oh, because it it wouldn't be scary enough. Mm -hmm. So if you treat what the movie as what actually happened and the book as him finally writing the story, because it's so much more brutal and violent that it it pans out to one like connected story with the two of them. Oh, equally existing. Well, and I love what, what Rob Reiner and and William Goldman did the fact, you know, because if uh, sorry, spoiler alerts, if you haven't read the book, you know, she actually cuts off his feet, mm-hmm. you know, which but, is amazing, which it, 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 it is. <laughs> and in the book, you're like, oh, my God. But in the movie, if you had done that, that would have turned. I think that actually would have turned off audiences. So I actually think they were they were smart in that because, you know, as a filmmaker, your job is to and some go above and beyond. I, I, I don't think you should turn off your audience. And I know there's some filmmakers that love that. Like, no, I'm going to throw everything at you. And I don't care. You be, you know, they kind of do Dolores Claiborne. I don't give a shit what you think. <laughs> but, but, but if you do that, you're going to turn off the audience. And I'll tell you, I think, you know, talking about Frank Darabont, I do think he did that with The Mist. The you know, it's a amazing. wonderful movie. It's a great movie, but I end up stopping it. Five minutes before the movie ends. Yeah. Well, I love that ending. I know. <laughs> I love I know, it. And I know Stephen King loves it. And I know, but I remember being in the audience. And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why that gets people. I know exactly why it does it. You can kick an audience in the balls once. <laughs> and I stand by you can do it once. You do it twice and that you've lost them. And I remember we're in the audience, like when he did that. You know, when when he takes care of the people in the car, again, I don't want to spoil it, but when he takes care of the people in the car, you feel for him. I mean, I mean, I was in the theater. I'm crying like I have tears in my eyes and I oh, this is the word. And then when he gets out of the car, (laughs) you just oh, that one that lost me. That, that absolutely lost me. And I remember being in the audience. It lost the audience, too. And I remember a guy screaming, like, are you kidding me? Are you serious? You know, like, it's kind of a cheap shot. Oh, it, it, like, I, th- I think you're right. That's what I... I don't know. It, it took my breath away. It does. Like, it so it does. Like, in such an intense way. Also, I took a first date to that movie. Never had a second date. Awkward, right? Yeah. I know, like, <laughs> it's, it's like, so do we get coffee now? Do we? <laughs> I feel like they were trying to out Stephen King, Stephen King with that mm-hmm, last mm-hmm. bit, which blew my mind because Stephen King has destroyed my heart so many times. No, oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I can't help but love it. And anytime I go to a hotel, I try my best to remember if they give you stationery oh. to write his little speech <laughs> that he was writing on it on there and just leave it for the Oh, that's ladies. awesome. 
Oh, that's awesome. I love it. Yeah. Well, I, and, and that's, I, I do agree. Like you, you, you got to keep your audience in mind as a filmmaker, as opposed to do. And, and, you know, another perfect example is Cujo, which I think Cujo is a great adaptation because D wall. Oh, mm. she did. I to, and I told D Wallace this when I, I met her at a convention. I, I said, you were robbed of an Oscar nomination. Like you really were, because what you do when she yells, you know, that, that scene where she yells at Danny, he's talking, you know, he's, he's just crying, he's scared, and he wants his dad. And all of a sudden she just shouts at him like, all right, I'll get your dad. You know, the, the producers wanted to refilm it because they're like, you can't yell at a kid. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. This is a great, it's a great on the making of Cujo. She talks about this. They, they wanted to refilm it. And, you know, Dee Wallace is a parent and she goes, are you, are you a parent? And the producer goes, no. She goes, shut up. <laughs> and I love, and I love that. You know, because it's so true. You know, they, That's it's amazing. That, that moment she just, you, you love your children, but you hate them so much. And I think that's just a great, but, you know, at the end, as we all know, if you've read the book, there's a very different ending in the book that's really just, it is a gut wrencher. You're just like, oh. And Stephen King has talked about this, though. In a book, you can do that. You can have that country. And I think if they'd done the mist in a book, mm-hmm. it would have been okay. If they'd done that ending in in yeah. his actual, which he said, I wish I had. But in, you know, the end of Cujo, you know, Danny lives. Sorry for the spoiler. <laughs> uh, but, you know, Danny lives. And Stephen King has said, in a movie, it, you need a happy ending. You need that kind of positive moment for people to leave the audience. Not only for, you know, the audience to be happy and enjoy that the fact that you know they, this this was worth it for the hour or two hours that they're doing but also spreading of word and business like you know that's what killed the mist that ending everybody went out and and you know wrote about it on the internet and told their friends and all this and by the second weekend nobody went to go see the mist you know Man. all because of that ending that's crazy and frank Dar- and and again frank Darabont's like hey that's the studio gave the studio i said i would only do it and I'll do it cheap if you let me do this ending. The, you know, the company said sure. You know, so I I totally get why they do it. But yeah, I I, I think overall, I think misery. I, th- I think misery captures what they do. But but you know, again, the, changing it to hobbling was a perfect way of keeping your audience in mind too. Because I think if you chopped off his with the mm-hmm. axe, I think you would have lost the that, audience. That seems so iconic now. Oh yeah, like, it, it is. It's it's an amazing. We, you know. uh, I did last October. We did a Stephen King burlesque show. <laughs> and uh one of uh my one of my performers you want to see the tommy knockers <laughs> <laughs> one, one of my performers did annie wilkes so she hobbled me on stage for her oh my routine. gosh was, that's great oh my God, it was amazing it was so much fun i don't want to beat a dead horse but i think the movie and and kathy bates portrayal of annie made her more of a real person and more of a sympathetic person oh yeah they could yeah. love and hate at the same time in the book she's just like this almost otherworldly monster and then the movie you're like oh oh yeah i can can see that she's a person just a real fucked up person (laughs) well and he's that's the one thing i i have always said about stephen king he writes real like Mm -hmm. like his characters even they're in this weird situation he writes them so realistically even the ones you hate yeah. You know, the ones that 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 you can't stand the characters, you know, the Craig Stiltsons, you know, the dead zone. Like, you know, but that's obviously we know now is kind of real uh, <laughs> in current situations. <laughs> but, but, you know, that that reality that's within those characters. And I think you're right. Like Annie Wilkes, he talks about the mental state of her and, and how it is. And, and you can see it. And in a weird way, you sympathize with her, mm-hmm. even though she's doing these horrible, terrible <laughs> things. Uh, you get it. I you know, rereading it not too long ago because I knew the movies are coming out. 
had a totally different viewpoint of Henry Bowers mm-hmm. in reading that book and reading it as a teacher now, where I'm constantly looking at kids who who sometimes are having troubles at home and 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 how that influences what they do at the school. Uh, when I was 16, I just thought he was a jerk because <laughs> I knew Henry Bowers and you stayed away from Henry mm-hmm. Bowers. But as a, you know, as, as an adult and as a teacher, it was like, oh, I, don't know, mm-hmm. I just stay away from anybody somebody wearing a leather some, jacket. Uh, yeah. That was, that's the rule. Stay that's away. the rule. Yeah. Well, you know, sometimes they come back. <laughs> that's nice a good ones. one. That's yeah. a good one. Yeah. Nobody that's talks a, about sometimes uh, they come back. Nobody talks about it. <laughs> you know, I I'm, love that story and I love that movie. Sequel too. It's fine. Is that on your shelf? Is it over there? Oh, I don't see. have either of them. Oh, I watched the... them as a teenager at my grandparents' house over and over again. Even sometimes they come back again. It's, it's actually good. a good movie. It is good. <laughs> so for you fans out there, go get those. Those are so good. Hey, it's, it's no Pet Cemetery 2. No. <laughs> Speaking uh, of, what is your least this favorite? This has been the end of this broadcast. <laughs> <laughs> what, what would you say is your least favorite King adaptation? I thought about last night. I like all of them. That's the problem. Even, even the, the bad, bad ones, ones I like. Are, I know. Yeah, that's even maximum bad. overdrive. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I. It's just fun. You know, the the classic thing is to say Lawnmower Man. You know, every I think everybody will always say Lawnmower Man is the word because it's not Lawnmower it's nothing. Man. Nothing. It, yeah. It's just they bought the title that you know that that was all. But to me, I think the 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 one that doesn't do the book justice is probably probably Firestarter. Yeah, we I, covered yeah. Firestarter. And there are a lot of problems and, and in I, that adaptation. Well, and I and I also know some of the making of, of Firestarter. You know, originally it's supposed to be John Carpenter who. Got fired off of it because Sorry, I, he's my favorite. Oh, I love, John. Been so oh, I love John Carpenter. Oh, I love him. Um, but he was supposed to do Firestarter, but because the thing bombed, he got fired. Uh-oh. And so you know that movie got into turnaround, and then it was it was they gave it to a director who is is very used to doing things fast. Like he's very much in the TV world of of Universal. Gotcha. Uh, not he's a great director. Uh, Mark Lester, I think was was a great director, but he he was used to doing things fast. I think that story, the intricacy when you read the book is Charlie. Charlie is such this innocent child, and going through this the the horrors of what she's going through, and I think spending more time, especially at Drew Barrymore who really was a good actress, yeah. a yeah. child actress. I just don't think that hit well. I think that really kind of, it just didn't work as best as it should have. Also, Rainbird is one of the scariest villains of all yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. And that movie does George not C. do George C. Scott justice. is not a Native American. He is, I don't know, he is I don't not. Know why. <laughs> he is not. He's not intimidating. And not yeah, in he's that not movie. scary. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, yeah. so I th- that's why I think, I think Firestart is one of those, like, there's a good movie there. I, I think it is, and I and I, and I I enjoyed watching it, you know, growing up, and, and see, but it just didn't, it didn't. And I think the, the, the only other one I did think of, and I love the movie, but I think the makeup effect ruined it a bit, was Silver Bullet. I really think there's a good, good movie in Silver Bullet, and you know it's a good yeah. screenplay, and it's good, and it, and I think he adapted his own work well because uh, Stephen King wrote the screenplay. But the 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 werewolf doesn't pay off. Yeah, yeah, and and I've always said if you're going to do a werewolf movie, your werewolf has to be like you have to focus on the werewolf for a werewolf movie. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I, it, it just, it just a vampire. You can, you can cheat. A vampire, it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, you can get away with just teeth. Like it's fine. You don't have to focus on the vampire. It doesn't have to be a monster. But a werewolf is the monster. Yeah. You have to have that payoff. So the Gary Busey pays off. He does. He I love <laughs> as Red. He's great. Yeah. yeah that's that's awesome. what I'm saying. There's. I think the movie itself is good. I just don't think that pays off. But yeah, I would just, I would go Firestarter. I think there's just 
they just didn't do the book justice mm-hmm. uh, on on that adaptation. Although, like I said, Lawnmower, Lawnmower <laughs> Man is just crap. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's get into the, the our, our main topic. Ah, at sorry, hand. yes, yes. Your your Dollar Baby project. Mm-hmm. You said you did uh, the man who would not shake hands. It's so amazing that you did this because we we've <laughs> talked before uh, that before we did the interview. I was telling you about our Patreon show. The club is based on that world because when yeah. we do, when we covered the breathing method, we were obsessed. With this club and the man who would not shake hands is the only other story King has written that involves that involves the club. club. And I agree with you. I was listening to your podcast. I I agree with you. The club should have been the story. The there was a the the club was always the fascinating part. But I also think what would have been interesting if somewhere in there and, and this is just speculation, hundred percent. But that would be a great anthology series. Absolutely, the telling the tale from the from the book club. And I wonder if he thought that. I really do, because that's really what, when I read The Breathing Method in college, uh, which is when I read Different Seasons, that's what I thought when I remember reading the story. I'm like, this is a weird structure. And, and you, you, you all talked about that. This is a weird structure for the book. Because, well, I thought, is it going to be this story? No, wait, now we're going over to this weird story about Lamas and 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 severed heads and kicking them and the, you know you're, you're reading all this stuff. but 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 then it goes back to this really weird story and this Stevens guy and this yes there are more rooms but you're not gonna know in the what <laughs> um, but then you know and it, and it's interesting uh, what led me to choose the man who wouldn't shake hands was actually hearing oh there's another story about this book club oh okay well. And I remember I had Skeleton Crew and I didn't know this. I pick it up and I flip through and I'm reading and reading. And I'm like, wow, this is, oh, this is, okay, there's a story within the club. Oh, that's so cool. That This is a story about the club. Even though it kind of does have a weird yeah. off put about it. But that's awesome. I love that. So that's honestly, that's actually why. It was because yeah. finally there was a story about the club. And I and I think probably that's why he wrote The Man Who Wouldn't Shake Hands. Um, he doesn't talk about it. Like, I, I, you know, in the back of Skeleton Crew, he really doesn't say why he does that story. He has, a, for every other story, he has a lot of mm-hmm. stories, uh, which is great that Stephen King does that. Because I actually yeah. like reading, why did you cho- Why did you make that story? But that one he doesn't talk about. So I never knew why he did The Man Would Shake Hands. But I remember reading it and thinking, wow, you could actually really make this a movie. This could actually be a really short, interesting movie. You know, when I wrote the letter to... Uh, his secretary, uh, Marcia DeFilippo, uh, which I've never had a chance to publicly thank her. So I want to thank you guys for giving me this chance. Mrs. DeFilippo, thank you so much for all of your help in getting this movie made. I wrote down if I could have the rights to either two stories, because I didn't know which ones were... Because now he has a list on his website mm-hmm. that says what stories you can and cannot do. Yeah. Uh, then I had no clue. So uh, one was The Man Who Wouldn't Shake Hands. The other one was Uncle Otto's Truck. Uh, I don't know if you've ever read, read that, that story. It, it's a weird, interesting story, which is I, I, I still don't understand kind of how <laughs> it works. But basically, it's kind of like a haunted truck that just sits in this field in the oh, middle. And it like gets closer. Yeah, it gets cl- yeah, it keeps getting okay. closer, oh, closer, man, closer to the point where forgot yeah, about that. to the point where one day the guy, you know, Otto wakes up and he has I, think, I can't remember exactly how, but he is like oil coming yeah. out of his nose and and gears are on his bed and I, and I and i just remember that was like 
visually as a filmmaker, I could do that. That's easy. You know, that, that mm-hmm. and that's and that's why I tried to think about what movies what stories could I do that would make a good beginning, middle and end and have a visual look that could be interesting. And those are the two stories. And she said and the letter I got back and I I still have a copy of it somewhere but you know, she says you have the rights to do either The Man Who Would Shake Hands or Uncle Otto's Truck. So and I remember the process, you know, then it was you write a letter. I would say it took about six weeks, maybe less. I Because I remember it was a short time period. Like, I thought it was going to be like a year. Like, I was never – I actually, I thought I'd never hear anything. <laughs> but then I got this letter in, in Stephen King's office. You, know, <laughs> <laughs> you roll, frantically opening it up and reading it. And, and she said, yeah, you have the right – um, you just have to send this contract um, where you put down what story you're doing, your information – and there was some, if I remember right, there was some legal paper that was in there that kind of had a few things about what you can and cannot do. But I remember I put, you know, I decided I reread the two stories that night and I decided to do The Man Who Wouldn't Shake Hands. So I wrote that, send it to her office and with $1 money order, <laughs> you know, because that's the deal. You got to send a dollar. And yeah, and then that we had the rights to do the story after I did that. And then I didn't, I didn't, I, that was the interesting part. When I, when I went to, to grad school, I thought it would be too difficult to do that. And I, and I, and I remember thinking, you know, you get influenced, you see all the other movies people are making and stuff. And I'm like, oh, they're making all these dramas about divorce and people committing suicide. And that's, you know, so, you know, you go, oh, I should do a movie like that. Cause that's what is getting made. So I, I put it aside, honestly. Um, and we were gonna, we were going to do another horror movie that eventually I made a little short movie called Raw. Uh, we were going to do that as my thesis, but then I t- I remember talking to my professor Michael Nolan uh, one day, a, a wonderful producer, actually produced Mr. Holland's Opus. That was his big kind of you know, oh. and uh, great teacher, great guy. Yeah, I remember he was my thesis coordinator, and I, one day I talked to him, and I don't know how I did it. I, I remember the images in my head were outside the building talking, um, but I mentioned, well, you know, I do have rights to a Stephen King story. And he stopped. <laughs> and I, I'll never, never forget him saying this. He goes, and, and, and can I do language? I, I, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He goes, why the fuck aren't you doing that story? <laughs> I said, well, I guess I am doing that story <laughs> based on what you just said. And so yeah, then we, we started the process of scrapping everything and doing the man would not shake hands. And we started the process with it. Yeah, it, it was it was interesting. Like I said, we weren't going to do it because I just thought it'd be too difficult. But then, of course, the minute, you know, we said we're doing the word got around and all of a sudden I got so many crew that wanted to be on this <laughs> on this 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 story. That's and, awesome. and yeah, it was it was it was it was interesting. Yeah. So what was the the theory behind because we talked before the story goes, you know, past and, mm-hmm. and present being faced with trying to tell the story in two different times in your film, you just, you focused on the incident itself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what, what led you to that decision to, to just focus on that part of the story? Yeah. Well, we, yeah, I remember talking, uh, Kevin fellow classmate of mine, he, uh, he was going to be a screenwriter and, and Kevin and I, we talked a lot about the story cause he read it and he was going to do the screenplay. And that was part of the process too. You know, when, when you're in grad school, you know, everybody, you don't want to just do everything yourself, you know? So my focus was to be the director. You know, his focus is to be the writer. We've got another producer. Like that, the whole point is you're supposed to know every mm-hmm. part. You're supposed to you know, get a bunch of, you know, it's collaboration. That's that's what it yeah. is. So so it wasn't like I could adapt it. It was the, the whole point was get somebody else to adapt it. And so, you know, Kevin Kevin was the writer. And and when we started talking about, you know, how to make it. And, and this is the interesting thing, you know. So now you kind of veer away from, you know, 
you're doing a Stephen King movie to you're just making a movie. So now it's the logistics of, okay, what what budget do I have? Well, my budget was $4,000 because my refund check for that semester was going to be $4,000. So... Uh, <laughs> Plus, I had to automatically, the rules of the school was you had to pay for insurance. You don't ever use it, but that was, you know, and then, which I get that they're, they're trying to prepare you for real life and real mm -hmm. filmmaking. You got to have insurance. Okay, well, so automatically that was $700 just to have insurance that in case something happens, mm -hmm. obviously it was going to, but, you know, you kind of always think nothing's going to happen. So, okay, I'm wasting $700. Oh, that, great. Well, so now subtract that. Now I have this amount left. Okay, well, now I got to get food. I got to do, but, you know, and so it got to the point you budgeted down. I had to just do whatever with, I had maybe 1500 you know, 15, 2000 somewhere in there. Yeah. But I also still had to pay rent. I had to, I also had to do, you know, so I'm having to like, Whittle it down to basically I have a thousand dollars to do this, you know, to do this adaptation of a Stephen King movie. Well, I say you all 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 that to tell you that India went out the door. As much as we would have loved to have the part about India in the movie. Now, now in my, you know, at 35, I know how to how we could have done it. Um, how we could have gone and, and this is and even without blue screen. I don't know if you all have seen it. There's a great one of my favorite adaptations of Stephen King is uh, his episode, The Black Cat from uh, the Tales from the Dark yeah. Side yep. of the movie. Yeah. John Hare's a great director. Actually, I've, I've emailed him a few times. Wonderful guy. Really I've cool guy. He's oh, have you? Oh, oh he's great. He's yeah. great. Yeah. He he did this really cool thing in that movie where he did a lot of theater. Like he did mm -hmm. this. He used a lot of scrims and 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 transitions where it looks like they're in a car in the middle of a country, but they're actually not. They're on a studio and he made it look like it was theatrics. And I was like, that's what we should have done. We <laughs> could have done India if we did it that way. Cause it was yeah. cheap. That was a cheap way of doing it. But there was just no way at that time that we, that, and, and the school didn't really have the, the, the blue screen technology like it is right now, which is you know, only 10 years you know, <laughs> later, but now they have a whole, room that's all green screen and that's students amazing. make all movies with green screen. Yeah, uh, that's great. But then we didn't. So it was like, okay, well, India's got to go. And then, I, and I'll be honest, you know, hey, you know, as a filmmaker, I think you look at the failures and I think to the Stephen King fans, to you constant readers, where I failed was not finding a beautiful library. And we, tr <laughs> and we, tr oh, sure. and we tried, we tried so hard, but when you're a low budget filmmaker and you're working with companies and they don't want you coming in to disturb business. And so I'm, yeah. what I remember now is we had a place that was, this, had this gorgeous, you know, one of those libraries with books stacked, you know, all up and down, kind of like CM's amazing room. <laughs> I don't remember all the details now. It's been so many years ago, but, but I remember it, it didn't work out. Uh, but what did work out was, SCAD, uh, Savannah College of Art Design, had a building that I think was the admissions building, and they had this beautiful fireplace and this long table. Because in the story, you know, deals with, you know, basically a man who cannot shake hands. The, the title says it all. But the long story or the short story of it is that the character is being invited to this amazing book club to because he has never he can't have interactions. He can't he has to distance himself and He's going to come to this club and he ends up playing poker, which, you know, if you play poker from a filmmaking standpoint, that's beautiful shots because it's all hands. And if this whole story is about hands, that's great stuff. So that that's why I really like the story. 
it had this long table and had the fireplace where I could put this great quote. You know, it's not the mm-hmm. tale. It's he who tells it. And I could do all this stuff. And they had shelves where I could put books. So I said, okay, that will work. The whole we, We've got a room where pretty much the whole movie takes place. But we didn't have that. What I envisioned reading the breathing method and the, the man who shake hands was this big, old, you know, with random books that nobody knows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, for a thousand dollars. <laughs> we did you okay yeah. I, so one of the things uh, the, some of the changes that you guys made that I really liked one was the changing his his fear uh, saying he had brittle bone disease and that's yes. why he wouldn't touch people instead of him just explaining he got a I think in the story he's like just a germaphobe yeah, yeah. so yeah. I, I, th- I thought the that uh, that change like really when you do, because I know when you do a movie, you have to, you have to shorten certain things yeah. and not get it bogged mm-hmm. down in, in yep. some details. So I thought that was like such a smart decision to just kind of jump over all of that. Yeah, and and you know, and it's also interesting being a Stephen King fan, adapting a Stephen King story. You 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 know, the one thing that I always did is I always you know I always got mad at the ones that did veer from his story. You know, because the whole point is you're doing a Stephen King story. Stay with the story. That's why everybody wants to see this. And, you know, as I've gotten older and done more movies, I understand why you have to veer away sometimes. You got to tell a story a little bit differently. You know, really, one of your jobs as a filmmaker is you have to you have to shut up that guy, you know, and and we all know that guy. He's in the theater. He's the guy. You know, well, why doesn't he do that? (laughs) Well, why don't they go there? Why don't you leave? Why you know? I, I hate that. Guy. We all hate that. <laughs> and actually, in the movie, if you there's a scene that we added, and we added it purposely for that guy. It was the he was wearing gloves, and that was that was the question. Why yeah. does he just wear gloves? The fly, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, I like that. and that's and and it was this fly. So in the movie, we have a scene where he walks into a club and he looks up at a chandelier, and this fly is buzzing around when the fly comes down and right on his you know lands on his hand. And then it dies. Now, you know, it's also kind of cool. We had a digital fly and Mm -hmm. lands. And then, you know, being in Savannah, dead flies everywhere. (laughs) We did not kill a fly. I I promise you, we didn't kill a fly, but we found a dead fly. And so then, you know, you, you, you cut away to his eyes. It cuts back. There's a dead fly. He drops it plops to the ground well that was to shut up that guy yeah uh why does he just wear gloves well he can't so shut up you know all right so yeah that that was that was kind of the same thing it's like well how does he explain why doesn't he just not touch people why does he just not go to club well he's okay well he's got to make up an order well he's got brittle bone disease okay covered that guy you know like okay (laughs) you know and that's and i remember kevin and i talking a lot about that and 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 just going with the idea. Well, I remember this was the one thing. Can how does it, you, one of the that guy questions was really, and it's kind of gross, but how does he go to the bathroom? Well, I was not going to explain how he goes to the bathroom, <laughs> but we did film an opening montage where he's shaving and he's getting ready and he's carefully with his hands. He's slowly holding the razor and he's slow, you know, with you yeah. know, kind of like he's holding chopsticks or something there. He's, you know, slowly shaving and slowly tying his tie. So his hands don't touch. And I remember doing a couple takes where he touched his hands. I said, we, we got to redo it. You touched your hands uh, to the, you know, to the to Matt, the, the actor who's really great in the role. But I remember that that was, that was our way of, okay, well that silenced that question. How does he go to the bathroom? We showed you shaving. That's how he does it. <laughs> I don't yeah. know if he uses tongs. I don't delicate. know. <laughs> 
I think I hate to admit this. I think I might be that guy. <laughs> I know, right? I know. I, well, because I, I did. I didn't think, you know, I thought everything was cool, like with the flying stuff. And I didn't think about gloves. But I was like, this is gross. I was like, can you masturbate? That's so sad. <laughs> <laughs> you don't talk about No. <laughs> uh, life finds a way. Life, life finds a way. Hope uh, springs eternal exactly. on that one. <laughs> <laughs> no, I but then we, honestly we asked that yeah. I remember specifically Courtney uh who's who's our uh, uh I can't remember what role she did in the movie but she asked him, "How's he go to the bathroom?" And I was like, "God." Dang it. <laughs> Fine, okay, we have to show a scene. And he, was, he was constantly trying to think, "How do we shut up that guy?" you know, and I think we did okay. Yeah. I, I, I think we did all right, especially but, in a it's a brisk 18 minutes. Yeah. Like it yeah. is nice and concise, which we were the longest. And I'll tell you that um, you wanted a question. I remember you asking me, you know, what was, what's what do you remember the most? That was just so difficult. Well, to be honest, what was difficult is the rules for your thesis movie was you have you can't do anything but write the script a semester before. So casting, filming, editing, color correcting all of premiering it all of that you have to do within six weeks oh my god wow. uh or, or sorry 16 weeks 16 weeks it felt like two <laughs> um, but yeah 16 weeks you have to do everything so we had the script in the spring so this had been spring of 07 kevin had done you know, multiple drafts and you know i remember even we have a scene we had, we, we filmed it but we had a dog that came to, you know, there's a scene where he's at yeah. the park and he's talking to, you know, telling the guy, I can't do this. We actually had a dog come up and the dog started licking his hands and the dog, you know, you know, uh, which rule number one, you can kick a baby, you can't kick a dog. Uh, <laughs> I get that. Yeah, I know. So we were like, oh, we're already kind of breaking the taboo. But you know how damn hard it is to get a dog <laughs> to just fall <laughs> you know, like, it's, um, i remember literally you know you got the camera frame you know i remember max the producer was his dog you know being under the camera kind of grabbing his legs and kind of swooping him down <laughs> and, you know, but then his arm would come in the shot or you know so we just we got rid of That's the dog amazing. through editing it was, you know, chase uh chase was my editor he did a great job we were able to cut around the dog you know yeah. and and, mm -hmm. and i'll tell you how to save that i'll, I'll be honest any filmmakers out there listening Always get at least one minute of your actor just reacting to nothing. Just just film them looking out or breathing or looking at other actors. Just get about a minute because uh, in the editing room that will save you. Because I can always have that is two, a great tip. Oh, it is because I can always have about two or three seconds where I can cut away to just a look to then cut back to do whatever, and that's what saved us. I had. We had enough foot. I didn't film him that, but we had enough footage that I could cut away to him just reacting a few mm -hmm. shots, looking with his hands, and then cutting back to the other actor where I could get rid of the whole dog. You know, because yeah. that was a good 20, 30 seconds <laughs> that we had to just exercise out of the movie. And, you know. But yeah, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> so you have this, this short time period to make this movie. And so I remember, you know, we cast it, and I remember. And you always remember the horror stories. You never remember the great times, you know, just as a filmmaker. So I remember we cast it and I remember we had four people show up for nine speaking roles in the movie because yeah. it was the summer. And that was the one mistake I learned during the school year. There's tons of people. But because I was doing this program in the summer, not any there's nobody around. So luckily, Matt came in 
but I remember Matt was the number one Jack Sparrow impersonator in Savannah, Georgia at the time. <laughs> I'm uh, sorry, what? Oh yeah. Oh, this is great. This is great. Yeah, he was he was uh, at the this this famous Robert Louis Stevenson house in Savannah. They they have a Jack Sparrow and all these other pirates and and uh, I remember he he had a mustache and a goatee. We set the story in the 1950s because that's where I kind of I know it's supposed to be in like the 30s or something, yeah. but I was like the 50s. So as a filmmaker, I put my touch on it and I wanted it in the 50s. And I just love that time period. Uh, and you know, the music's great. We could have kind of this jazz music in there, this public domain jazz music and all this stuff. And and uh, but 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 the thing was, he had this mustache and goatee. And I was like, ah. It's not really 50. I mean, you know, like it, 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 but you know, somebody out there did. So we just said, okay, you know, <laughs> as long as your hair can be short. And he's like, oh, that's fine. I got, I got a wig. You know, I wear a wig, but I, this facial hair I need. Uh, so, you know, you don't ever think about that when you're making a movie, but you're going to run into those things that we, I remember we had to deal with that. Um, you know, the, and the one mistake that I, that I made in the movie that to this day, I just don't like uh, was the casting of the maid. Because and I and I, I apologize, I don't remember her name, but it, you know, she was African American. But she was the only one who auditioned for that role. Nobody else came in there. And when you watch the movie, you're going, "Did I really make a 1950s movie with a maid who's black, and she's in it real quick, and she's kind of just the only girl in this club?" And you know, that always made me like a little like I screwed up there. But she was the only actress that showed up, so it was it wasn't me casting it that way it was just kind of the how it was casting that way and then you know because nobody showed up we actually ended up getting some of the crew so one of the sound guys is one of the poker players <laughs> max the producer is the 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 texas guy um i love that guy i know right like, <laughs> it's, great. it's so random though right yeah. it's, it's, it makes no sense that he's texas like, yeah. it was just max is like yeah i'll do it you know the, the, it's texan it. named frenchy yeah i know right <laughs> <laughs> It's outstanding. <laughs> um, and then another filmmaker, we couldn't find the bully. And I this I really love. Stephen King writes the best bullies. Mm -hmm. I, I Every story, if you look at it, he has a great bully in every one of his stories. Um, my favorite of all time is, uh, and I actually got to meet him once, uh, Jeffrey DeMunn, uh, you know, from The Walking Dead. And, oh, and uh, yeah. He was in The Green Mile. Mm -hmm. And The Storm of the Century, which... I think is one of the better of the 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 mini the Stephen King miniseries, yeah. which is a whole other podcast. <laughs> um, but but his character of uh, Robbie Beals in in the Storm of the Century, he is just such an asshole. <laughs> but the worst part is he's an asshole that kind of makes sense, which is what Stephen <laughs> King does, which yeah. is the worst, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. he's the worst when the, when you know the jerk is right, you yeah. can't stand it, but. <laughs> But Stephen King does that. And so we had that in The Man Who Wouldn't Shake Hands. I um, can't remember the character's name, but uh, Justin Edmondson was actually a fellow filmmaker. He was, And I, and I was like, Justin, do you act ever? Because he had that look. He had that long hair. He had that real smug asshole He did. Look, he had that well. preppy yeah, kind of. Yeah, that well. And yeah. he's not that at all. That's <laughs> the best part. Justin's just a cool kind of, hey, what's up? Oh, yeah, let's rock this out, you know. He played that well. Yeah, he, did great. Uh, he he really had that nastiness to it, and you know, of course, because in the story, he's the one who you know he loses at the poker game, and then he comes back, and this guy's having this really great time, and that's the one thing I do love when the maid talks to you know, the lead character, and it was one of those things like I, I I was there and I saw it, and I was like, we real quick, we got to get the shot. Um, when, you know, he has his hands on the table the whole time, and that was our whole point. He's got to always have his hands mm -hmm. separate and in control, but at one moment when the maid leaves, he puts his hands under the table as if he's gripping something. And 
talking about your masturbation comment. That's, you know, symbolism. But he, uh, he, you know, I, that's actually why I did yeah, that. I, I wanted him that. to grab the table and that, that kind of, he needs to you know, do something. But then the, the jerk comes in and grabs his hand and shakes it. And that's the whole, and ends up getting killed. It was just so, yeah, I remember wanting to get that shot real quick. And, and I, I love accidents like that when you notice like, oh, God, we got to get that. But yeah, but then all of that was, you know, we filmed at this one location and, and you know, we had a couple things and then we had to go outside and, and uh, yeah, we, we, we did all of that, I think, seven days. Mm, I think wow. we filmed the whole movie in seven days, something like that. And now again, that's, you know, week four we're filming of the 16 weeks. So now I got to get to do the edit and then we got to edit and we got to do the color correcting and, and the color correcting is the worst. If you've ever sat <laughs> through that, it is the worst process of filmmaking. I will pay somebody a thousand dollars an hour just to, to you do it. I don't want to sit through it because it's, because it's going between two shots of like, does this match? Does this match? Do you like A? Do you like B? It's kind of the thing where you're in the, the eye doctor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> number one, number two, number one. It's, oh, God, can you just show me when it's all done? Yeah, someone make a decision. <laughs> just make a decision. I don't want to sit through this. But yeah, we had to do all we had to do all of this all in 16 weeks and then premiering it. You know, and that's just the film stuff. In the personal side of things, I went through a breakup in the middle of this with a long distance girlfriend Ooh. who, you know, all, you know, I'm not going to go into the details of that, but, you know, Good, when she's I, listening. Yeah, I hope, yeah. <laughs> You're a jerk. No. Uh, uh, <laughs> but, but uh, you know, at the same time, like every, you know, I'm spending eight hours a day editing. Then I'm going home and I'm calling somebody on the phone to save and salvage whatever personal life I can kind of have. In the interim, I had... I had developed the point where I was going to have an internship with Roger Corman Studios Ooh, to the wow. point I was like, it was going to happen. We were waiting for Roger Corman to come from the back from the, he was in the Philippines mm-hmm. producing a movie and, and he was he had to do the final paperwork and but they ended up giving it to somebody they knew who was a college student instead of this grad student coming out of nowhere. So they gave the internship to him. And so so I didn't get this internship. So that fell through. So all the time, you know, I'm having to just go back and forth and and. And I say all this not for you listeners to have sympathy for me. Like I'm okay. Like you know we're good. But <laughs> but but it but it was just such a, a a surreal moment of just you know what you're going through to make this movie in such a short time period that your personal life's still going to go on when when you you know. And I remember specifically there was one day, and Nolan again. Nolan's a great guy. Uh, he's a wonderful professor, and and, and he's kind of my mentor. Actually, got me helped me get into teaching. So he's really mm-hmm. he let me come into his classroom years later and kind of teach a little bit just to get the feeling. So great guy. But I remember one day he was having issues on the phone. Like he was talking to somebody and he was really mad and he was coming in to see a rough draft of the film. And I saw him in the hallway. I saw him shouting. And I remember telling Chase, my editor, I'm like, this isn't going to go good. I don't care what you say. I don't care what we say to him beforehand. He's not going to like anything we do. And he came in. He's like, all right, all right, show the movie. Let's, let's watch this. Play the movie. This is terrible. This is the worst. You, you got, you know, and, 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 Ouch. and I'm just, you know, and you just sit there, you just have your arms folded. You're like, uh-huh, uh-huh. You know, it's like your parent shouting at you like, uh-huh. Okay. When's this over? Like, okay. And he goes, I, you need to do something. So fix all those things I told you about and I'll see it later. He walked out the door and, and I don't know if he knows this today. So Nolan, if you're listening, I apologize. But uh, I, I told him, I told Chase, I said, 
he didn't watch anything because he was on his phone texting mm-hmm. while he was doing uh, all this stuff. And, and this is the day of like the TTT, BBB, FFF, you know. <laughs> uh, he didn't watch anything. And 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 I, I remember specifically telling Chase, I'm like, change one thing, but leave the rest alone and watch. He'll like it. <laughs> and Chase goes, what? I'm like, just, just do this one. I think it was like, it's cut off like two seconds of, of a shot. It's like, do that because he's right. Cut off two seconds and then the rest just leave it. Couple days later, comes to watch it, and he's having he's good day. All right, let's watch this. Watches it. This is great. This is what (laughs) you did exactly what I want you to do. (laughs) That's amazing. You know, and and, you know, Chase is just looking at me. He's like, he's that look. How did you know? I was just like, "Mm -hmm." mm-hmm. Is all of that in that NASA equation that says? Yeah, yeah, that's literally that's literally that's that's part of it. You get you get the personal life, you know, and and that's the other thing too. As a filmmaker, your personal life doesn't stop. You know, you you know, as as I've said a lot of times, you know, when you're a director, you know, if you have a significant other, they have to kind of understand you're kind of having a lot of affairs in a weird Mm -hmm. way. Like you're having an affair with the main actress and the main actor, and you're you're having to smooth egos, and you're having to you're also having to have an affair with the director photographer. You're having to smooth a hundred people that your attention is going to be split, which you know is why a lot of people do end up having breakups and stuff like that. So yeah, but it wasn't because of the movie that the breakup happened. That was going to happen anyway. You know, now that you reflect years later, but but it was it was the okay. How much do I dedicate to this movie now? When dedicating to okay, do I take a day off and just focus on talking to this girlfriend at the time to salvage this? Well, I can't, I've got, you know, if I don't hit this mark, I'm going to not, I'm going to miss the premiere and, and it just gets chaos sometimes, but, but we got through it. I, you know, we, we, we got through it. It it premiered, you know, one of the, one of the last things I remember the most of just not really horror stories, but just the making of is uh, none of us had played poker. (laughs) you know so so again filmmakers out there do your homework um <laughs> but you know poker always goes to the right and i remember when we when we filmed it we went to the left but none of us on the set there's there's 50 <laughs> of us on the set nobody caught this you know and i didn't know i never played poker i mean i played poker in college like twice you know and, you know, Nolan is watching the movie, and I remember him just leaning and going, you never played poker, have you? <laughs> I go, why? You know, you try to do that, like, oh, yes, I have. Why? And he goes, you always go to the right, you idiots. I'm like, oh, shit. And he just starts laughing. Nolan just starts laughing. He's just, he's like, all right, good luck fixing that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? And we did. And Chase somehow, I don't know. So what I remember is we filmed it where we were going to just use, like, a constant take. You know, I remember setting it up kind of in a circle, kind of like that 70s show style. Well, what we end up doing, but that was us going left. Well, in order to finish it, we had to cut it up. And so we just have still shots of of them. Nice. So it looks like it's going right. And we reversed a shot. So one person, <laughs> you know, one person moves his arm left. Now he moves it right. And so you know, we were able to fix that. But I remember that was like a last minute, like, <laughs> shit. And then, uh, oh, my God, this, I just remembered this. Holy crap, I'm sorry. You guys are... <laughs> They're looking at me like, oh my God. The spider on the face. I love the spider on the no, face. No, you did. I you did. are lying. I, I know did. you're lying because that sucks. <laughs> oh my God. I... You laughed, didn't you? You laughed. Oh, I, yeah, yeah. I laughed, but I loved it. Like, 
Oh God! So Sorry, this is yeah. a no, no. That's what I'm saying. It's terrible, you know. Because the whole point I thought would be really cool because Savannah. If you ever been, have you ever been to Savannah? No. Mm-mm. Oh, gorgeous town. Very gothic. Love love Savannah. But Savannah, you know, there's all these just hanging moss, and it, it's that that southern mm-hmm. gothic look. Uh, but there's always these spiders that just get everywhere. And I remember, you know, they have a lot of like bamboo palm trees that just the spiders love. So, you know, you walk in a park and there's just this, you know, from a distance, it looks like a palm tree. You get close to it. And it's just webs. It's just <laughs> up and down webs. God, that's gross. So we had this idea. If this guy's sitting in the park at the very end and nobody's talked to him for a day or two, there'd be this spider on him. I thought it'd be really cool that, you know, you, you, you turn his head and a good scare to the audience would be the spider. Well, Again, we couldn't get a live spider. Nobody could, you know, you can't train a spider. So, you know, <laughs> nobody, and, you know, I'm sure, I don't remember talking to him, but I'm sure, you know, the actor is like, no, you're not going to put a spider on my foot. And then we thought, oh, well, we'll just do it digitally. We'll fix it in post, uh, the classic line. And we did not fix it in post. We, <laughs> we got this crappy special effect from somebody who just wouldn't work with us like we kept like oh, do you got it do you got it do you got it and it was too late to get somebody else to do it and when we got the shot <laughs> i remember my my editor called me and i went to his to his house and he goes i'm gonna play this for you <laughs> yeah oh that's <laughs> never good and he just goes i know and i'm and he just goes click and i see it and i go oh but this was like a week before the premiere oh my god so it was like well do we cut it out well, the problem is we use practical and digital. So he has this web mm-hmm. on his face that was practical. So oh. if we cut out the spider, it's just this weird. And to this day, people think it's peat moss. They, that's what a lot of people who watch it are like, oh, yeah. What, why the weird spider? Because he had the peat moss on his face. It's like, <laughs> well, it's supposed to be a web. And But that 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 was like that did not work at all. So, you know, t- it's funny years later, I'm showing this to my students and, and I show the man when shake hands to my students is kind of a lesson of like, okay, how do you adapt a story? How do you, you know, it's good. And I explained them the process of filmmaking and they always laugh at that. And it's always, you know, when you're sitting there, it's just, it, you know, as a teacher and you're, you're watching your work and you know, you gotta be, you gotta be vulnerable a little bit, but every time they laugh, there's a little party that's just like, mm. <laughs> you die a little inside every time. It's not our fault, you know. You turn like, yeah. <laughs> we tried. You know, that's how you feel every time. But that that was like. But then you know, it was great. We got it all together after 16 weeks of chaos and madness. And I do I do remember this. I remember right before it was to premiere. I got a call on my phone, and I hadn't talked to the, you know this girl that I was breaking up with hadn't talked to me for like a week. You know, and then she calls me right before. It's like, I just want to tell you, good luck on your film. <laughs> and I'm cool. like, oh, hey, thank you. Click. <laughs> <laughs> so I have to do that right before I go to watch this God. movie on the, on the big screen. So even at that moment that you're doing your premiere, life is still there. <laughs> but hey, you know, it, it premiered and we got a lot of we got a lot of cheers and, and people really enjoyed it. And and I remember the, 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 the most satisfying thing was, you know, most movies were two minutes because of that short time period. I mean, and what I got a lot, you know, my my cast and crew, and what we, you know, a lot of the compliments we got was just, wow, you guys really did a pretty impressive film for the short time period, and 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 wow, it's you know, and I remember when the Stephen King title came on because now the one thing you can't do is say Stephen King's the man who would not shake hands. That was sure. part of the the, the rules, uh, but I remember that when it said by a story by Stephen King, the 
crowd just clapped. Now that, that was like re- like a really satisfying moment of like, oh, okay, great. Well, hmm. hopefully we did some justice to the story, and and you know I feel we did as best as we could given what we had and the resources and the, and where we are. But uh, but then again, you know, you go back. I remember a few years later, I went back and reread the story, you know, just because I was I was bored one night and I'm reading it and it's like, oh wow. There's some stuff we missed. There's some stuff that we could have done. And that's how I remember the Tales from the Dark Side. Oh, I could have done India. I could, you know, you could, I could have done these different things. But at the same time, it's a time capsule. It is what it yeah. is. It's, it's, it's what you had to do at the moment. And, uh, and yeah, so, so those are some of the chaos memories that I have of the, the moment. <laughs> what were you, so you got this, you, you made this movie. What were you able to do with it after all was said and done? Like, were you <laughs> able to, do yeah. any like film festivals or or anything like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, that's the downside of a dollar baby. In our research, we didn't realize the limitations of it. And and again, and I say this with all respect to Mr. King and to, you know, Mrs. DeFilippo and all the stuff they did, but it's really it's a great opportunity, but because of the restrictions, which is totally understandable, you really can't do a whole lot with it. And I don't know what it is now, but this is before the, you know, the YouTube era. This was really like YouTube was around, but nobody really utilized it the way they do now. But the rules where you can't publicly display the movie. Well, that took out YouTube, that took out Vimo, that took out any of these places where we could put it online for people to see. And then what we found out once I, you know, once... We had really kind of read the the legal document, so that's it's an our it's our fault. But you realize like all the restrictions, so you can enter it into a film festival, but you can't have prizes associated with the festival. So if it's a cash prize or it, it it's a, a sponsored, uh, you know, where like Miramax hosts this film festival or something like that, you can't put it in there because again, it, it's protecting Stephen King. Gotcha. To the point where it's kind of like we got into a couple film festivals. I remember actually uh, a Cedar Rapids Film Festival. I got uh, uh, premiered it. Uh, we premiered it there in Savannah. And I sent it out to a few film festivals, but there's really not that many that don't have some prize mm-hmm. associated with it or, or something like that. So to be honest, I feel bad, but a lot of it, it's, it's sat on the shelf for a lot of years just because you can't do anything with it. Now, if Stephen King wanted to do something with it, um, he could. And that's actually, there's this, uh, Stephen King fans and collectors will probably have it. I have a copy of it, but uh, there's, uh, they called it the Skeleton Crew. But I, but there's two movies that he put out, uh, two VHSs that he put out that were dollar babies. One was Frank Darabont's Woman in the Room. And another one was uh, an, an adaptation of The Boogeyman uh, that somebody had done. Um, that was a very straightforward adaptation. But what I remember that story is it's uh, if you ever seen Army of Darkness, mm-hmm. yeah. there's that guy that has the whip at the beginning. He's kind of bald. And he has like stringy long hair. Mm-hmm. He's the main guy. OK, I was <laughs> I'm always like, that's the Army of Darkness guy. That's kind of cool. Uh, Scott Beck and Brian Woods doing Boogeyman. Yes, they. Yeah, they, yeah that was. Yeah, they they actually remember you know, they had they had called me as a Stephen King fan uh, when they were thinking you know think about doing some Stephen King's adaptation and they had asked you know some ideas of what are some good Stephen King short stories that was one and you were like the man who would not shake hands yeah well (laughs) you can't do that one Um, (laughs) it's already done Uh, but but yeah they're they're doing an adaptation of the boogeyman and I'm not sure where they're at with it we we met them at Midwest Monster Fest and 
talk to them about doing an interview. Yeah. Oh, great guys, great guys. I actually I did movies with them in high school. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. We we were we were uh, yeah. They were they went to Bettendorf and you know me and and actually Justin Markson and oh yeah, yeah I know Justin. Yeah. Well, Justin's Justin's my main actor in my movie. I was the best man at Justin's wedding. And Justin's awesome. in the man who would not shake hands. Yes, I did see him in the I saw him in the credits. He is the radio voice guy. <laughs> That's Justin crazy. because Justin's in every one of my movies, and so oh I was like, "How God. do I get Justin in this movie?" Because he couldn't fly down, and, and, I, and, I did, and I didn't have a role for him at that time. Um, but I was like, "Oh, you could be on the radio." So in, in the scene where the, we kind of pan from, you know, uh, the main guy's reading, and it kind of you hear this like, "Hey, this is you know, Bobby." Da, da, da. That's Justin on the, on the radio. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Oh my God! Yeah, yeah. I love that. Yeah. So, so yeah. So unfortunately we, we really didn't, haven't done anything with it, but recently, like I said, as a teacher, I've been able to kind of pull it off the shelf and kind of show my students and I've been able to really get out there and, and, and to be honest, it's actually kind of great. Like this podcast is, is kind of a life to it that I, that I really am, am grateful that you, you both have offered to the, because nobody knows a lot about about this um but i also know nobody knows a lot about how to make a dollar baby in the process and and stuff and it and you know i i, I think in hindsight and like like a lot of us have talked about it you know who are associated with the movie that would we have maybe done it if we had known kind of the after effect honestly probably not just because the opportunities to use to get our movie out on on youtube and in a couple of those that would have been a lot it would have been better and, and, and a better opportunity. But at the same time, I would never want to trade in this experience of being associated with, you know, the guy who introduced me to reading the, the man who got me into this whole other world that I never knew about. And, and I got to, at the end of my life, I get to say, I, I had some piece of that universe, that, that dark tower universe that we all say, I, you know, I was the first one who did the man who would not shake hands. And I, th I think there's another one out there. I think somebody else did one. I've never seen it. There's I, a, I, there's like a, 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 just a fan made one on YouTube. Is that was, yeah, yeah. that's why I feel. And there's a lot. So, so we were official. We did it all by the yeah. book and all the, I've got Marcia de Filippo's awesome signature and I got all the paperwork like uh, so if you if you ever do another one CM and I get auditions right absolutely <laughs> all right cool I just want to make sure we, we have it we have it on record it is on it record. is recorded yes. it's officially yes. on the books oh man I <laughs> wish I wish I could have another opportunity to do to do a Stephen King so I, I think we've made it clear like we love the concept of the club and Stevens is such an intriguing mm. character and idea <laughs> We're curious what your theory on Stevens is. Oh, man. You know, it's interesting because I, I remember reading The Breathing Method. I know Stevens has more to do with that than he does mm -hmm. in The Man Who Would Not Shake Hands. The way that I viewed Stevens, he's a guy that puts the, the skeletons away. You know, I don't know what he is. I, I know there's that weird part in The Breathing Method that talks about the... They say he's like a vampire. It's, uh, there's something that they talk he about. Just, he just looks ageless. That's yeah. what it was. That's Everybody, what it was. Yeah, yeah. Every, I mean, in the the man who would not shake hands, the guy's like the, who, that guy was Stevens. It was your grandfather, right? And he's that's like, what, yeah, yes, that's sir, that's what I remember. And yeah, and I remember talking to Kevin that you know we we didn't want to use Stevens in a in a in a weird because it really isn't Stevens story and he really doesn't have a lot to do with it. But we did have a few moments. Now there's a funny story with the actor who he did hire for Stevens he the, how we found him because he just looks he just has that look yeah to him. and uh he 
He actually had another classmate friend of ours, Kevin Treadway, did this great movie called The Monster, where it was basically this girl's being chased by the kind of My Bloody Valentine, hostile, creepoid with a gas mask looking big guy. It's just bloody and gross and guts. Well, he chases her down into this abandoned building, and there is Dracula. So it's this old monster versus <laughs> this new monster. Was it cool? Was a yeah. cool idea. We we all loved that movie. But the guy who played Stevens, he was the Dracula. That's and, fantastic. Uh, and, and you know, it had that voice, that mm-hmm. Shakespearean kind of voice, and and he kind of did that with the Stevens. You know, how may I help you? And uh, but what's funny is if <laughs> I always love this. If you are uh, a fan of this great movie called Major League Two, uh, Stevens plays the butler. The guy who played Stevens plays the butler in that movie. So if you look, there's a seat. In our movie, he does this thing where he kind of rolls his eyes. Mm -hmm. He does the same thing in Major League Two. (laughs) (laughs) So So Major League Two is now Stephen King canon. Yes, yes. There's a seven degrees of Kevin Bacon with that. (laughs) It's great. I remember we actually bought the movie at like a disc replay and you know for two dollars i was like we gotta watch this we fast forward this ain't it ah there he is (laughs) (laughs) that's hilarious Um, but i i i think that if you were to expand that story i think stevens is definitely the the man who knows it all who knows where all the bodies are buried Mm -hmm. who to be honest i think stevens is the one who you know when things show up like in the story i know there's that that great part where you know they they get the money for the the person who died and it's for the mm-hmm, widow yeah. and you know i think steven's the one who comes around and mm-hmm. takes the money and you know do, you know i think that's steven's who does that because whatever he is he's this i think though and i think you talked about in the podcast Sam, about the if there is this other world up there you know the other rooms mm-hmm. you know i i i'm pretty sure there's some Randall Flag, Dark Tower character, Storm of the Century, weird guy. That that is Stevens. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I do. I do think that in an expanded world, but we didn't touch that. We 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 purposely were like, let's just have a creepy looking butler mm-hmm. to kind of keep it more realistic in this kind of way with, that we did this story. But I yeah, that's what I think Stevens is. I, I think he's the. I think he is the vampire. I think he is the ageless creepy thing that wanders those hallways and and probably it is still i do think though that in the stephen king world it is the same stevens yeah oh yeah that i do i don't think that's a stevens grandson (laughs) no i think that's we don't buy it yeah that's stevens so yeah that's my theory on that i guess so i just have two more questions for you to wrap things up sure and i'll kind of ask them together so what are some things that you're interested in right now or some things that you're working on or looking forward to? And then kind of going along that, how has or has COVID sort of affected Oof. that? And <laughs> and how do you think that's going to play out in the coming months? Oh, wow. So we just finished. Uh, I just finished my first feature film uh, that we did uh, titled right now, Any Woman's Blues. And it was a challenge. How do you make a movie during all of this and how do we play it safe and we did it as best as we could with being safe on the set being distant using longer lenses if you know so people aren't as close but it looks like they're close limiting this i mean i literally was a crew of like one you know Mm -hmm. one or two at the at a time you know i'm i filmed it framed it directed it did you know did i did all the cinematography the lighting you know all that stuff was was just me because that limits who's on the set 
What I do think will be interesting is, as I've talked about in some articles about, you know, what's going to be rolling out. Are you going to see people kissing in movies? Probably not. And that's a weird thing, right? Yeah, like, I did not. That how do you how do you how do you do a that. love story where people don't connect? And and to be honest, we did that on my film. You know that you know because the, the 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 film is about a breakup, and one of those intricate moments with a breakup is that you know especially because the whole movie is about kind of the breakup, the day of the breakup. It all takes place in one day, and what's fascinating to me is that a couple of minutes after you break up, the realism of it all, but the is this true or not true? Is this wait, wait, did did you just no, you didn't break up with me. Wait, no, you are. What what? You know, like, <laughs> that's, that's such an odd moment, right? And uh, we wanted to focus on that. Well, at the at one point in the movie, you know, I wanted them to have a connection. And and we talked about it. And, you know, my actors were safe about it, and they, you know, we made sure that we didn't take our temperatures every day or anything like that, but we did make sure like everybody who came to set, like, are you okay today? Mm-hmm. Do you want me to wear masks? Do you want to do, you know, and everybody's like, okay, no, we're fine. It's okay. We'll, we'll risk it. It's okay. You know? Um, so there's that risk factor in there. But um, at that moment, at that critical moment, we talked about it and said, well, do we, do we want, we need to do some connection. That fear, I think of the, of the, of that physicalness of, of connecting. We were like, well, I don't know if we do, but we decided the hug actually worked. The hug works. There's, there's that connection of people. And it actually set a more powerful moment in the movie than anything. So that actually worked out nice. that we didn't, you know, but but I think if this was any other time with the whole COVID thing, I don't think we would have been like, oh, yeah, yeah we could totally do that. Yeah, yeah, let's mm-hmm. do it, you know, that. Um, so I, I think you're going to see less of that in movies. I think you're going to see less connection, less physicalness in movies. Um, even fighting scenes. I don't think you're going to have as much fighting. I think you're going to have more thriller type thing where it's more we're just going to talk about it, not really do, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, stuff like that. But I also think, to be honest, what will be interesting to me is how it changes how we do tell stories, how, you know, and how we do. And, and you know, speaking of Stephen King, he had to redo something I read about uh, If It Bleeds. There, one of those short stories in there had people, it was set in 2020, and they were on a cruise. Well, Stephen King went, Ooh, <laughs> that doesn't work. So he actually, I remember before the, the book was printed, he had to redo it because huh. of the whole COVID thing. Yeah. So if it bleeds at a whole different uh, a whole different That's direction crazy. of the story. I saw a copy of the original. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, like I, I, it'd be interesting to read mm-hmm. that. But it, but he said, no, anybody reading this book is going to go, nobody was on a cruise in 2020. <laughs> <laughs> we all know that. Uh, but uh, no, that I, th- I, th- I think that's what's going to change a lot. Um, and just honestly, I think it's going to get to a point where people are going to, we're going to run out of new material. That I mean, we, we, you know, they're already we know they're already holding some movies back, like mm-hmm. Bill and Ted's Face the Music and all these other kind of <laughs> movies. And I think then we're there's just going to be that risk factor, like okay, we're just going to start making movies and we'll start being it safe. And I don't know, I, I honestly, I think a lot. We're just going to have to wait and see because I think the scarier thing is going to be this winter. So mm-hmm. talk about a horror story. That's mm. <laughs> 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 gotta love those good old Midwest winters. Oh my gosh, oh, yeah. We'll so great. we'll see how that goes. Do you think that it's this is going? We're gonna see a a big influx of independent artists because, as you said, I mean, you uh, working on on these more on these independent movies. You have actors that are more willing to to take those kinds of risks. For, mm-hmm. for the art because yeah. 
you typically make art you believe in when you're just kind of an independent. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I, I think we're all going to take those risks. I mean, honestly, the three of us did that coming into here. We, we had a conversation. Do we want to wear masks? So we got to be careful and you know, all that kind of stuff. That's a legitimate thing that. I think we as artists have to ask now. Then we just start spitting in each other's mouths. Yeah, yeah, and then we're just, yeah, yeah, you know. <laughs> but it's how we close the show, by the <laughs> way. I don't know. I should have warned you. Yeah, yeah, I mean, okay, all right. <laughs> Thank you very much. Have a great day. Walk, walk, walk. Um, the, uh, but, but yeah, I, I think you're going to have that where it's just going to be, uh, and to be honest, I think we see that in America. I think we see a lot of people doing that where it's like, Okay, we can be cautious and super, super cautious, or we can just take a risk, or or we could just, you know, do that. And and I think you have to have that a little bit, I, I you know, that especially to entertain. But I do hope people are doing it safe. Like like I said, like we did on the movie set, we were safe about it. We all knew we were comfortable, even when we went into like like we went into somebody's house. Even though I had been around the the, the actor for you know all this time while we were on the set, so. I'm sure if, if they had something, I have something, you know, like mm-hmm. it, it, that's, I want to be respectful for their children. And their. so I put on a mask, you know, and even though they're like, you don't have to wear it. Like, well, no, honestly, I'd rather, you know, to, to, to make it comfortable. I think you're going to see a lot more of that where it goes though. I, honestly, I think we're going to just, until we get a vaccine, I think we're just going to have to see each new project that comes out. We're going to have to see where it goes. Yeah. I think there'll be risk. I think there'll be the, the ones who, can't control that beast inside that needs to make something. Uh, that's kind of what we did. We were, <laughs> we were just sitting around and I said, well, could we do a movie? You know, and, and that was actually one of the great things we, we ended up doing not too long ago. Roger Corman did a quarantine project where he wanted you to do a movie from your house. And we, we actually all got together. We said, let's, let's do this. Uh, you guys film on your phone. So I have my actors film themselves on their phone. They sent me the footage. We compiled this two minute movie for this this contest, and we didn't have to leave our. I didn't leave yeah. my room. Mm-hmm. It was you know and it so worked. It like, that that it, short pulled together. So oh, thank well. you, thank yeah. you very much. Uh, that, without, the, but that was all them. They, they, my actors and the crew, them, them filming themselves, and just it was it was fun. It was great, but it was also inspiring because that made us go, hey, we just did this. Could we do? A feature, you know, yeah. <laughs> which we did. And, and and it was, we had a moment that there was a scare that we had to kind of shut down and say, okay, we got to refocus and are we going to, are we going to finish it? We don't know, but we, we ended up, you know, to be safe. We filmed it. So if we only could do this, we had a short, I just needed a real kind of fixer ending that I didn't like, but we did it. But then the scare was over and we were able to finish it and we came back and everybody was great and and it turned out. So, you know, as long as you're safe about it, as long as you're taking it seriously, I mean, that that to me is the number one thing. Uh, Take this seriously. I mean, (laughs) as any Stephen King fan knows, there can be institutes (laughs) out there. There can be conspiracy theories. There can be, you know, those other people, quote unquote. However, I think there's enough science to kind of go be safe. Don't be dumb. Be cautious, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think that's just the way to do it. If as long as you're taking it seriously, I think you can do it. So if our listeners want to want to follow you on your your filmmaker journey, is there any place they can can look you up and and follow? Yeah, come to the screenings. No, uh, (laughs) uh, uh, no, I don't have a website. I don't have any of that. Um, But uh, but certainly, um, uh, you know, if you've ever wanted to reach out to me, uh, you can reach me at uh, my school. MOT Charter High School in uh, Middletown, Delaware. Uh, so MOT Charter High. You can find me on the webpage. You can email me. 
It's a long email, so just look it up. Uh, uh, but uh, the other thing I do, I do contribute to a podcast. It, uh, if you don't mind me uh, promoting yeah, that for a second, uh, Hollow Nine uh, Network. Uh, so Hollow the number nine. You know, we we just shout about movies and talk shop and and talk about the you know Stephen King comes up every now and then and those great movies. So yeah, you can follow me there and and yeah, just uh, again, I just. Appreciate this opportunity. Thank you very much. Yes, Ian, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, yeah. It has been a real pleasure talking to you, and uh, I, we could talk for hours about film. And I could sit in this room for hours. <laughs> That's the, uh, the my gosh. Please I love let us to know uh, as, <laughs> as you have like stuff coming up when you finally do the the release of your future film. Please let us know. We'll happily share it out on all of our oh, social media. Appreciate and stuff. that. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for tuning in to Dairy Public Radio. Have long days and pleasant nights. Hey everyone, Sam Alexander here. Thank you for listening to this bonus episode with director Ian Klink. Thank you again to Ian for taking the time to come into the studio and talk with us. We had a blast. As always, find us on social media at Dairy Public Radio or email at dairypublicradio at gmail.com. Check out our website, constantreaders.org, for everything Stephen King and Stephen King adjacent, and visit our Patreon page for bonus episodes and merchandise. That's all for now, listeners. Goodbye.